Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. And with today's episode, we're teaming with PRC. This podcast is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. Today we have Dr. Trevor Turner joining us again. And before I start jumping into some questions for him, I just want him to remind us who he is and what he does. Thanks, Casey. Nice to be back here with you. Um, I My name is Trevor Turner. I work in an orthopedic sports medicine clinic here on the south side of Atlanta and um, try to help patients not only, I guess, recover from musculoskeletal injury, but also uh, work with them on preventative strategies to keep them moving, eating, sleeping, dealing with stress, and hopefully uh, preventing themselves from coming in with some of the injuries that we uh, see on a routine basis. So, I'll also remind listeners that Dr. Turner is a physician coach here at the Healthcare Experience Foundation, part of the team here. And we're going to talk about a really important, I think, subject today, and that's doing some humanitarian work or some volunteer work in an effort to stave off burnout. Um, Dr. Turner is a expert in this field, and I'm super excited to have him talk to us about his own experience and how that's kind of helped him um, deal with a lot of the stress that goes on in his everyday life as a physician and I'm sure as a father as well. So let's let's start off with um, you telling us a little bit about that time that led up to your decision to go overseas to Africa in this case in particular and you know what led you to want to do that kind of humanitarian and volunteer work. Yeah, geez, thanks Casey. Um you know, to be honest, at first when I got back, I wasn't sure really um, who to talk to about it or how to talk about it. And so I ended up writing a lot and then and then submitting actually some of that writing to um, kind of an ethics uh, project that my medical school was doing at the time. I was still when I was at the University of Texas. Uh, so I, you know, it was earlier on, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd always been interested in doing international work, but, um, when I had left college and went to med school, uh, you know, it's funny because I told my parents, I had friends, a lot of people from Notre Dame, like, I think it's 80% or something like that end up doing service work of some kind, like upon graduation. And so one of my good friends, who's now a fantastic critical care doctor at Hopkins, like he was. I think he was going to like Cuba for a whole year or something. And I was looking at all these other people and I was like, you know, I'm thinking about taking a year off, you know, before I go to school. And, you know, my parents just like laughed, like they're they like, no, you're not, you know, <laughs> they're like, you, you got into medical school, you worked your whole life to do this. Like you're going to start and like figure it out, you know? And I was like, oh, all right. So, yeah. So I went, I think, God, when was that? 2006 uh, is when I graduated college and then started school um, you know, was, was feeling like I, I, I was not, I guess the kind of, uh, medical school applicant who was super science invested. And, you know, all I did was biochem all the time and was just really a bright process thinker like that. I was more of the kind of like well-rounded person, I guess, who had done a lot of different things. I had lived in Ireland and studied there for a bit during college, uh, and even though, you know, I was, I was a good student, I mean, I performed well on tests. Um, I found myself more as the type of person who wanted to go into medicine for 
maybe some of the anthropological and other some of the um you know humanitarian probably reasons right so um so that already was a little bit different than than some folks in my class and it wasn't even until my last year of medical school we may have talked about this on the other podcast but that we we had a teacher in an elective ask us whether they would recommend their siblings uh, or best friends or whomever to go into medicine and, and nobody was raising their hand except for me and I was distressed by that because I was like geez we haven't even been through residency yet <laughs> you know which is when most people get really really you know sleep deprived and uh, maybe you know starting to have symptoms of burnout from what's going on but um so I was I was looking for something I think you know, I had some bizarre expectation that I, I was going to get out of college and and start medical school, and it was just going to be all about the patient and the human being. But that's not necessarily how the system developed. Uh, you know, I think there was a guy Abraham Flexner who was the uh, he was in uh, I think the UK back in around 1910, and so he'd come up with this model, or he was looking at this model of of doing two years of basic science and then two years of clinical work, and then you go on to whatever you know, residency or specialty training. And it developed a lot over the years. But so when I found myself doing that in my first year of med school, I was just kind of, you know, starting to ask questions about, I was like, what am I doing here? You know, it was in the middle of, um, I think, uh, some of the Iraq war. I had family that had been in the military. I was questioning whether or not I could be you know, trying to help protect human life that way. And and so I ended up, I heard this fantastic lecture uh, by a, a professor from the Baylor International Pediatric AIDS Initiative. And so they had a grant program where basically you could apply and you could go work in sub-Saharan Africa. And it was a cool program where uh, Baylor and Bristol-Myers Squibb had kind of like partnered together and they would donate antiretroviral medications for people with HIV and then basically you would go on the ground amongst you know medical students versus residents versus attendings kind of would go together to provide care re- really with the goal of like trying to make a dent um in places where HIV infection was really really bad uh and then not only do that but sort of kind of pass off to local experts the the ability to sustain this in the long term so that it wasn't just like oh you know, hey, we're going to be here and and run a clinic on our own, you know, to help you like these great, uh, you know, travelers. It was really more of how do we integrate this into the culture itself so that, you know, they can take care of themselves um, in the long term and and live a better, healthier life in their community. So I, I appreciated that. Um, and so I went to be a part of that for several months in Swaziland, which is a really tiny country. You've got you know South Africa on one side, and then you've got the border of Mozambique on the other, um, and so it's almost totally surrounded by South Africa, and it has a small population, only about a million people, but they had a forty percent HIV infection rate, which was terrible, right? It was considered the worst in the world at the time. Um, it was certainly not like any environment I'd ever seen or been to, um, and I'd done, I think I'd done a little bit, yeah, I'd done. Um, some work in Mexico for like a week before in Juarez, which is like, you know, it's it's a, not a very safe place, but certainly a place where there's plenty of need and it's close to the Texas border, uh, which is where I was from. And so, you know, Swaziland was a pretty rapid departure from that. Um, it was really not like anything else. And, and so I think I, you know, I felt compelled to be involved in service. I, I felt a little bit like I wasn't serving very much by just going to school and taking tests and 
you know, contemplating even a life of do I, hey, you know, move to a foreign country and practice, you know, international family medicine for the rest of my life. Um, and I probably would have never, I, I would have always in the back of my mind regretted it had I never tried or experienced it. Right. But so, um, so that's maybe a different context than like, Hey, I want to go do mission work or, you know, medical volunteer work for a week or two. Um, and there's some great, you know, companies that do that, I think, um, with, you know, they each have sort of their pros and cons, but, um, so that was kind of the, the time of my life that I was embarking on that. Definitely. And I want to move on to some of the lessons you learned from your time doing aid work. And I want to know about any of those lessons that kind of help you with your everyday life as a physician. That's a great question. A lot of people, I think when they think about going to Haiti or going to Africa or going to a place to do mission work, um, you hear a lot of people throw around the term life-changing, right? And so I had really wanted to ask that question because I think one thing that was never acceptable to me was that it, it, if you go to a place for a week or two you know, and you see a lot of people in a day and maybe you do surgery or, or whatever it is you do that prescribe medicine, you know, to help is um, like, how does that make a difference in the way that you live your daily life when you get back, right? Short of just moving to a place to do that forever, right? Which most people probably who are considering volunteer work are not going to say, okay, well, you know, that's it. I'm leaving the United States and I'm going to live boots on the ground here forever to make a big difference, right? A lot of what we did over there while the work was good, I, I felt like I was constantly reckoning with my own futility, right? And so we'd see um, tremendously joyful things. Like we'd be in the clinic and we'd see kids that got started on, you know, antiretroviral or heart therapy as it's abbreviated uh, for short, you know, a year ago or six months ago and, and their CD4 counts, their immune system would kind of get better, uh, and they would, you know, they'd start making all these milestones, right? Like they'd, they'd do these things that were considered normal for children of their age that they were missing when they were sick and malnourished and couldn't do that, right? The flip side of that coin was for people who are really sick, if you went into the government hospital and you try to take care of them and you watch them die in a way that I was like, well, if we were in the US or if we were in, you know, a tertiary referral center, we could have, you know, innovated that person, put them on a ventilator. We could have put them on more sophisticated nutrition. We could have had better infection control protocols, like in the hospital. So those things made me, you know, I was I was reeling from them. I mean, I would go home and I would play these events over in my head and you know, a lot of times was agonized by the fact that I felt like I was not doing enough or I was never doing enough. Right. And so some people would just say, that's stupid. Like, you know, this is a place that has less resources and, you know, you're like a good person for going over there and wanting to try to do something and you can't be, you know, fixated on what you're not doing. Right. But <clears throat> I think until you've, until you've lived that and you've been amongst suffering at that kind of level, um, in a way for your fellow you know, for other human beings, right? Even if you don't look the same and you didn't grow up with the same language and you didn't grow up with, you know, the same kind of food or whatever it is, 
you know, there are certain like universals, I think. And, and some of those are like, Hey, like you want to be healthy. You want to have a family who loves you. You want to, you know, be able to eat and go to school and you want to be able to have clothes. Like, so, so seeing some of those things get violated, I think, um, you know, it's hard to take with me and what it forced me to do is either say, okay, well, your response to this set of circumstances is that you're either going to be crushed by this and you're going to be in total despair and you're just going to give up and you're not going to practice anymore because you're going to feel totally broken or you're going to start to see significance and grace. And, and I, and I don't, I don't want to be like too theological in that sense, but, um, maybe you're going to find significance in acts of compassion and kindness that matter more than you realized right now, you know, so I'll, I'll try to give you like an example and it may sound silly, but <clears throat> there was a lady who came to our clinic real early in the morning. Right. Um, and we were in a little bit of a mountainous region. So the air was cool in the morning cause we were at some elevation. Um, and, and some people preferred to sort of come in and not be seen, you know, necessarily by people in their community because there's a stigma certainly for people who have HIV, right? Uh, and we have certain stigmas we deal with in the United States and then there's stigmas you deal with in different cultures in very different ways. And so I think women in particular in Africa, um, you know, they're the backbone certainly or the unit of their family that holds it together. Um, but when it came to them trying to make decisions about, you know, do I breastfeed my child or do I bottle feed my child? Gosh, I don't want to give them an infection. What if someone sees me at this clinic? What will my, you know, parents think or what will my my spouse think? So so these were really big decisions. So sometimes people would come to the clinic early in the morning as a measure of discretion. And I lived pretty close to the clinic. And so you know, I would walk over there early in the morning to get ready for the day and do stuff. And I remember seeing this this lady there and, um, you know, I, I looked at her and she looked cold, you know, and she was there with her baby. And then, you know, so I was just like, hey, like, uh, you know, can I get you like a blanket or something? Like, are you all right? You know, and she was like, yeah, that would be really nice. So I went and I got her a blanket and then she took the blanket, even though she was visibly cold and she just wrapped it around her child. <laughs> You know, even though the child already had a blanket on. Um, and it was, you know, at, at the same time, it was like the unselfishness, or I should say the selflessness with which a mother loves her child was so striking right in that moment. I was just like, geez, like this lady would probably, you know, just freeze in an early mountain morning <clears throat> to save her child or do what's right for her child. And, and and Lord knows some of those people, it took them literally days to get to that clinic because we don't think about what it's like to not have a car or a road or public transportation or it's just that the the you know the amazing um complications of travel in the developing world are, are something you know we take for granted i think but um but the other part of me was sitting there going, okay, like, well, I'm going to see this number of people today and I'm going to recommend these kinds of therapies and, you know, we're going to work with a team of people to try and make sure we have a counselor who helps them and communicates things well. And, 
you know, even the cases of like tuberculosis, there were people doing what's called directly observed therapy, right? Where they were literally like watching people take their medicine every day in order to prevent disease transmission. But maybe the best thing that I did that day of all of that stuff was give that lady a blanket, right? And it sounds dumb. I mean, it's very humbling to think like that as a physician because I think, you know, you're like, well, I've been educated and I've had all this training and really like what my job is, is to see the most complex problems, right? And to to be really, really good when the stakes are really high and disease is really complicated and you know, how do we make evidence-based decisions with that? And how do you quote unquote practice at the top of your license? You know, if you're somebody who does advanced procedures or surgeries or whatever it might be, right? You know, but on the other hand, in a culture, especially where maybe not everybody understands the same language all the time and, you know, you don't eat the same things or you don't worship in the same way or you don't, you know, watch the same sports or go to the same schools or have the same holidays, you know, giving somebody a blanket when they're cold, I mean, probably made, you know, that woman and her child feel more cared about than than a lot of the other things that happened, right? And so then this idea became for me is I was like, all right, well, you know, certainly I can go back to the United States and I can see people with HIV and I can work with, you know, underserved populations and I can do all of that. But maybe, you know, more than just saying, you know, well, hey, I do some volunteer work and that means I'm life-changing is, you know, in, in moments that are seemingly very, very small or insignificant, the way that you communicate like love and compassion to someone um, maybe is really the way that life should be changed, right? And I think the the nice thing about that is the staying power sort of it gives you right because we we have problems with our system in the united states you know i mean on the one hand if you come here for really advanced cancer care or you know cardiac care whatever it is i mean we we you know we can do organ transplants we can do immunotherapies we can do truly amazing things right but on the other hand, we have, you know, this whole cohort of people that is just constantly saying the system's broken, the system's broken, you know, I'm I'm overworked or I don't get to spend the time with patients that I need or I spend more time typing in an EMR than I do actually practicing medicine and, you know, I don't like the hospital or I don't like the private equity group or I don't like my partners or I don't like whatever. I mean, there's there's different problems certainly to be upset about, right? But in that that one like moment, like that moment which is so, so sacred, right? Like nobody can take that away from you if you can just see it like for what it is, right? And I think it's easy to lose that and it's easy to think about problems in a way where all you do is see the problems, <laughs> Right. And if all you do is see the problems and you lose the meaning, um, you know, you're probably not going to find joy in what you do. And, and people are going to feel that. Right. But when you find joy in moments that are seemingly very simple, um, you know, there is something precious about that that sustains you and it, it kind of gives you. I think a meaning and a purpose where maybe you don't, you know, you don't need to be a physician to do that or a nurse or a, you know, allied healthcare professional of some kind, but, um, but it makes you feel connected back to your purpose. Right. And then I think, and the same token, 
<clears throat> patients are looking for that and they they tell you how much significance it gives them, right? I mean, if you know, people say, Oh my gosh, you know, I've seen all these different doctors and all this, but nobody ever just did this simple thing, which communicates such sincerity of compassion, right? And and it feels good. Like, I mean, it's like that's like, oh, okay. You know, that's why I went into medicine, kind of right. It reconnects you with that purpose. And and so I think um I guess it's ironic, you know, that you almost have to maybe see something that breaks you down in order to be able to then get built back up in such a way that you feel uh feel reconnected and and feel what you you're doing is is profound, you know. Definitely. And I know that you're currently writing a book about these experiences and you let me read some of that book. And so I'm going to spend the next kind of part of this interview reading some passages from it and having you react to it. So the first uh, in the book chapter, you let me read, you wrote, quote, in the wake of my own trials, I found that perhaps the deepest grace to be had is the grace we find when it seems there is none to be found at all, end quote. Please react to that and just let our listeners know what you meant by that. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think some of what we just talked about was pretty applicable to it, right? But um, like, it was funny. One of the one of the things I started trying to do just for my own mental health was was writing this gratitude journal, where like basically at night I just I just write three things a day, like I was grateful for, right? And it was kind of funny because I was looking at it in the context of ways that that. Um, like it shows that it lowers your blood pressure and improves your heart rate variability and all this, you know, all this stuff. Right. But, um, but I think that's very much the case of, you know, finding grace where you don't feel like it. Right. And so, um, you know, when, when things seem to be hopeless or when they seem to be, uh, really hard, I think in particular, I mean, I don't know, we saw, you know, I saw a patient earlier in the week who came in with neck pain, which is like, you know, everybody, yeah, once they get past 40, probably, but, you know, and it seems very routine. And then she came in and we did an x-ray and we we're like, oh gosh, right. And it turns out she had, she had like a cancer, like a tumor that had invaded a vertebrae of her spine, you know, and that becomes like a hard conversation, obviously. Right. And so, people are not going to retain everything from that encounter. You know, when they hear that word or you show them that picture, they're like, oh, you know, and it's hard to focus on anything else, right? And then it just becomes basically an appointment about, you know, just being like, hey, like, like we're here for you, like no matter what, you know, and we're not giving up and we're going to be here with you and like whatever it takes, you know? And I think... You know, that's probably an example here that, yeah, I mean, it's not taking care of, you know, orphans with HIV, um, but it's a place where you encounter somebody with suffering, right? And you have to, you have to be able to move into that space and dwell with the part of that emotional, you know, context, which is really hard to dwell in but to figure out how to be comfortable enough in it and still be vulnerable enough to meet that patient. That, that I think is pretty hard, right? Cause it's easy to be like cold and closed off 
or you can be the person who just you feel everything all the time but you have to have some kind of balance like to be able to function like in this world of being a healthcare provider in the United States and um yeah so i think that's finding grace when it doesn't seem like there's grace to be found <laughs> amazing that is awesome all right here we go another passage i want to read to you and have you react to it Quote, as physicians, it helps us forge the bond with our patients, which is quintessential to the art of practicing medicine. I had not cured HIV, and I had felt crushed by the weight of my inability to do so on a larger scale, but I came back with a new kind of staying power. And caught up in an adventure much larger than myself, I was ready to truly learn how to heal the broken, end quote. That is a passage written by Dr. Turner, reflecting on his humanitarian work uh, and his aid work. Do you have anything else to add to that? Or what, 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 were, you, what were you trying to get at to in the heart of that uh, passage? Yeah, I think I just, I, I think I was trying to figure out what what I was trying to prevent was, okay, I went and did work that I felt like was was really important or meaningful, and then I was just going to come back and just live the same life the way I always did and never, never really change in any way, shape, or form. And there was actually, it's funny, I read a book by a physician. He was another Notre Dame grad. He was a cardiologist, and he actually went and and met like and worked with mother Teresa in India, which is, you know, I mean, that's incredible, but I think she had kind of challenged the book was called mother Teresa's prescription, but he had, he had, um, you know, I think tried to deal with some of those same demons, uh, on his own. And, uh, it was interesting how he talked about it because he felt, I think he talked about like, he felt very silly um, or humbled or whatever you want to say it, uh, ridiculous maybe at times that, you know, here he was as this kind of high powered cardiologist, but like he felt like in some way, the work that mother Teresa was doing and the way that she touched people who were dying and comforted them was something like he like wasn't capable of almost, or like wasn't cut out for. Right. And so those, those kinds of things, um, they make you reckon with who you are as a person and what you're capable of. But then at the same time, I think when you acknowledge that and then you start to move past it and you say, look, like the real ultimate meaning about what I'm doing is connecting with another human being that is so basic to the way that we express what it means to live and be human in a community. Um, and I think that, I don't know. That's probably um, where I where I got to when I left, um, and then it was great because it was like <laughs> after that I was like, man, nothing could stop me. <laughs> you know, like I, I I felt like I was I was in medicine for the long haul for the right reasons, um, and uh, you know, hope I was right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean that last sentence you just said really captivates all of it and, and the value and what you're doing. And that's powerful. So let's wrap up here. I want you to know a couple last minute things. Uh, what would you say to someone who's interested in volunteering or providing humanitarian aid, who's in a similar position as a physician, very busy life? Um, what would you say to that person? Uh, 
don't make excuses because it's so easy to be like, well, I'll do it next year or the timing's not right or whatever. Um, there's a, there's a fantastic, uh, you know, somebody is worried about doing it on their own or, you know, or, or not doing it through a medical school or residency. There are certainly great global health programs now, uh, in a lot of med schools around the United States. Um, but there's great, you know, I think people have heard of MSF Medicine Sans Frontier, the uh, medicine without borders. Um, but there's, uh, you know, other people, GRM, like, um, uh, is great. And I, I think, uh, there's so many partners that make your skill set available to do that. And my, my temptation, I think early on, especially was like, oh, well, you know, either you're not doing surgery or, you know, you haven't had enough training or you're like not used to practicing in a resource limited environment. And just don't, don't let those excuses stop you because you, you'll be able to, make such a difference more than you ever thought you could. And um, and I think you come back to what you do on a daily basis in a way it just, it makes you better and it makes everyone around you better. You've been listening to Dr. Trevor Turner. He's a physician coach here at the Healthcare Experience Foundation. Really powerful stuff today. Anything else you wanted to mention before we cap it off? Yeah, just thanks for having me. I'm rewriting the book, so it's not coming out yet. But uh, also, uh, Casey is uh, doing a great job with uh, a young kiddo and uh, his (laughs) wife, Rock. So good job, man. Oh, Dr. Turner, I uh, could only hope to be, um, you know, as accomplished as what you've done as both a father and a amazing healthcare provider. This was a great episode. Um, we will keep listeners posted as the book production progresses. We kind of gave a nice sneak peek today. Um, Dr. Turner, once again, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Casey. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. With today's episode teaming with PRC. To learn more, visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.